a talk that Rebbe gave about trusting in Hashem, that uh, we're going to start today with Hashem, that um, is very fundamental to understanding the whole idea of trusting in Hashem. It's not like people think that um, the Rebbe spoke about um, topics, and there's a gathering of the Rebbe's topics. The Rebbe spoke on the Torah portion of the week, but the teachings of the Rebbe are the Aleph base of life. Aleph base of Torah and Aleph base of life. And this talk of the Rebbe, which is centered around a, a Rashi in Pasha Shmais, um, gives us uh, a lot to learn, not only in Pasha Shmais, but in Parshas, whatever it is going on in your life, whatever Parsha, whatever you're dealing with, whether you're dealing with the Parsha of Shaduchim, trying to find a match, trying to find a job, trying to find a blessing for health. And so it's always a, a relevant thing to study, especially because uh, this year we're saying the Rebbe's Tehillim, uh, chapter 121. 121 begins with, I lift my eyes to the mountains, where will my help come from? So the meaning of that Pasuk needs to be understood because how could King David ask a question, where will my help come from? Of course, help comes from Hashem. So what explanation of this Pasuk is that the question at the end of the verse has a lot to do with the mountains at the beginning of the verse. The meaning of the word mountain could be understood in two ways. The simple meaning of mountain is a big chunk of this world. Looking at the mountains means looking at at the voices of this world, looking at the things of this world, looking at the what the lawyers say, what the doctors say, looking at what the financial analysts say. So if you're focused on those kind of mountains, those focused down on your cell phone and looking at what everyone else is saying about what's going to happen, so then you're going to have a big question. Your question is going to be, where in the world is my help going to come from? How in the world would I possibly be helped? That's a question you're going to have if you focus on those kind of mountains. If you look down on your cell phone and you look at the uh, strong voices, the big chunks of this world. But the another translation of the word mountains is tzaddikim. Tzaddikim are called mountains because just like a mountain, you're far from the mountain, the mountain looks um, smaller. The closer you get to the mountain, the more you see how great the mountain is. So to a tzaddikim, the more you get connected to a tzaddik, the more you realize how the tzaddik is far beyond anything that you thought he was before. The more, you, the closer you get, the more you realize how great he is. So if our eyes are on the tzaddikim, if our eyes are not on the financial analysts, but our eyes are on what the tzaddikim is saying, so then instead of there being a question at the end of the verse, may I know Yazri, where in the world may help going to come from? How in the world will I possibly be helped? Instead, the, the, will be, there will be an emphatic statement. Me'ayin, in addition to being, meaning from where, also means out of nowhere, the, out of that which is beyond nature. So if I lift my eyes to the mountains, the real mountains, the tzaddikim, so then me'ayin yaviyazri, instead of wondering where will my help come from, I'm going to feel, for sure, me'ayin yaviyazri, for sure my help will come out of nowhere, out of beyond nature. So I can't choose how I'll feel once I've put my eyes in the right or wrong place. All I could choose is where I'm going to place my eyes. So I think we all um, vacillate when we put our eyes in different places. Sometimes we're looking at the tzaddikim, sometimes we're looking at the uh, down on our cell phones. But let's today look at the words of the tzaddikim, the words of the Rebbe, and uh, God willing, this will uh, give us the emphatic call of our soul 
that Hashem will for sure help out of nowhere. As Baal Shem Tov said, that when a Jew says God will for sure help, he causes salvation in the world. Just by saying it, for sure God will help. The um, family of Maras Hanyabas, Bracha Berlea, asked that we uh, study this talk of the Rebbe, bring blessing to her and to their family, and for all good, for all the Jewish people. Let's go. The um, Sicha begins with a verse where the Torah talks about Moshe Rabbeinu uh, being educated in the palace of the Pharaoh, and Moshe Rabbeinu leaves the Pharaoh's house and he sees an Egyptian man striking a Jew. And Moshe Rabbeinu protects this Jew and he kills the Egyptian. And then the next day, he sees two Jews fighting with each other. And he tells one Jew to stop striking the other Jew. He says, wicked man, why are you hitting your brother? So the two men who were fighting were Dasan and Avira. And they respond to Moshe Rabbeinu and they say, are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? Moshe Rabbeinu, Torah says, is afraid. And he says, the matter has become known. And then the Torah says, Paro hears indeed how Moshe Rabbeinu uh, killed the Egyptian. And Moshe Rabbeinu runs away. That's the verses that the talk of the Rebbe is based on. Moshe Rabbeinu is accused of, of murder. And Moshe Rabbeinu defends himself by running away. So Rashi comments on the words, Moshe Rabbeinu was afraid. And he says, in a simple sense, he was afraid. And the Medrash, Rashi says, explains, Moshe was worried about the fact that he saw the Jewish people have talebearers, people who just say, uh, uh, say bad things about other people, people who are ready to tell the government about other Jews doing accusing Jews in the government. So Moshe Rabbeinu was worried, maybe the Jewish people are not deserving of redemption. So the question is like this. Rashi always tries to explain every verse according to its simple sense. So why is Rashi not satisfied with explaining this verse in a simple sense and to say that he is afraid that his murder of the Egyptian, or his killing the Egyptian, wasn't murder, it was really to defend the Jew who was being almost killed by the Egyptian, why can't Rashi just say that Moshe was afraid that Pharaoh would find out? Why does Rashi also bring the Midrashic explanation that Moshe when he was worried maybe the Jewish people are undeserving of redemption? There's a problem by, by explaining the verse according to the Midrash. Because according to the Midrash, um, the next sentence of Moshe Rabbeinu, the matter has become known, uh, Rashi has to now extract that explanation out of the simple meaning. The simple meaning of the, of the matter has become known is Moshe Rabbeinu's killing the Egyptian has become known. But Rashi now has to explain it differently based upon the Medrash, Medrash saying that Moshe Rabbeinu is afraid because the Jewish people have talebearers, so now he has to um, explain the matter as not being the matter of his killing the Egyptian, but rather, now I know why the Jewish people are suffering. So because of the Midrashic explanation that Moshe Rabbeinu was afraid because he saw the Jewish people have um, talebearers amongst them, because of that explanation, Rashi is forced at the end of the verse to extract the 
verse from its simple meaning to say what has become known, it's become known not the simple meaning of the verse, the death of the Egyptian, the killing of the Egyptian, rather what has become known is what has become known is why the Jewish people are suffering. So why does Rashi have to explain the verse according to the Midrash explanation? The explanation is like this. Rashi's intent over here is to answer a very basic question in this verse. In general, when the Torah relates detail of a story, every detail has a connection to the flow of the story. But here the Torah says Moshe is afraid. The Torah doesn't say that he does anything because of his fear. Because he did not run away to Midian because he was afraid. He only ran away to Midian when, when the Pharaoh, when Pharaoh discovered how he killed the Egyptian and Pharaoh wanted to kill him. So Rashi is wondering why does the Torah mention he's afraid? What does it have to do with uh, the next part of the Torah? And therefore Rashi explains the Medrash, brings down the Medrash who says that Moshe Rabbeinu's fear is caused him to, it is the worry that he had, maybe the Jewish people undeserving of redemption. That's how Rashi explains the meaning of Moshe's fear. The Medrash tells us that Moshe's fear is related to his worry the Jewish people are undeserving of redemption. That's why he can't explain the verse according to simple meaning, because a simple meaning has a problem, he's afraid, and what happens because he's afraid? Nothing happens. The um, the story the Torah tells us about Dasan and Aviram and how they were fighting, and that um, that story is very relevant because that story tells us how the Pharaoh heard how much killed the Egyptian. Indeed, Moshe Benu's fear was realized, and they did tell Pare that he killed the Egyptian, but. That doesn't explain why the Torah tells us about Moshe Benu's fear. Why is that relevant? What happened because he was afraid? Therefore, Rashi is not satisfied. The simple explanation, and he gives them the drastic explanation. But there's a rule. The rule is that a verse has to be explained according to its simple meaning. You can't um, negate the simple meaning. There always is a simple translation of a verse. And that is one of the valid explanations of Torah. And here you see that Rashi prefers this explanation over the Midrash explanation, and that's why he mentions this explanation first. So we have to say that Moshe Rabbeinu's fear, that he's afraid because his killing of Egyptian has, be- his, has become publicized, um, we must say that there's a way to explain this in the verse. So we need to understand what exactly is Moshe Rabbeinu's fear have to do with the continuation of the story about Pari discovering what happened, uh, it seems that that has nothing to do with it. And that this verse is, is Rashi Ben fear doesn't, doesn't do anything. Therefore, therefore, Rashi has to give a Midrash explanation, but we want to know, according to a simple explanation, is there a way to explain why Rashi Ben fear has some relevance, is that something happened as a result of this fear? Is there anything that happens as a result of this? So understand is by first looking into a medrash, which discusses something of this week's Torah portion as well, Parshas Vayishlach. It says that Yaakov was afraid when Esau was coming to attack him with all the soldiers, and Yaakov has pain. Said Rabbi Pinchas, named Rabbi Ruvain, Shnei Bayadim Miftach and Lukash Baruch on this yard. There are two people who God promised to protect them, 
and they were afraid, the choice, the chosen one, the best of our patriarchs and the best of the prophets, God promised the best of the best that he'll take care of them, and they were frightened anyways. The best of the best of our patriarchs was Yaakov. And God said to Yaakov, I will be with you. And yet Yaakov was afraid. So to the best of our prophets is Moshe Rabbeinu. And God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm going to be with you. And yet the Torah says that Moshe Rabbeinu was afraid. How do we know Moshe is afraid? Because the Torah says that God said to Moshe, do not be afraid. In fact, God had to tell him not to be afraid. That means he was afraid. So that's what the Medrash says. God told the best of the best not to be afraid, and yet they were afraid anyways. So was that a good thing or not a good thing? So there's an argument among the commentaries of the Medrash if this was a good thing or not a good thing. Some say that this is a good thing. Moshe Rabbeinu, Yaakov Avinu, despite the fact that God promised them he'll take care of them, nevertheless, they were so humble that they did not rely on God's promise, and they were afraid maybe their mistakes would make them undeserving of God's promise. Well, I thought it was translated. So I was thinking, it's a, good thing, so. it's a positive thing. So according to the, their explanation, it goes very well by the Medrash says, the best of the best were afraid. The Medrash wants to say, don't, according to their explanation, don't rely on, on yourself. You think that you're such a tzaddik, look at Av, look at Yaakov, look at Moshe, they were the best of the best, they were still afraid. So the, their, their explanation goes very well with, with the beginning of the Medrash, emphasizing, highlighting, these are the best people. But there's another explanation of the Medrash. The Medrash is saying, do not learn from them, do not be afraid. If God, the Jew has to have his heart secure in God, that's a commandment Hashem has given us to trust in him. And it sounds like from the simple words of the continuation of the Medrash, as Eber uh, quotes, the Navi, the prophet, chastises the Jewish people and he says to them, you have forgotten God who created you, you're always afraid all day. That the prophet is rebuking the Jewish people of being afraid. So that's what the other explanation of the Medrash is. I was thinking, according to the other explanation of the Medrash, why does the Medrash highlight that it was, it was the best of the best Yaakov, it was the best of the best Moshe Rabbeinu? Why is the Medrash highlighting that they were the best? If this was a mistake that they made, why is it highlighting that they were the best? And I was thinking, perhaps the Medrash is telling us this is something that everyone is guilty of. Even the greatest of the great, Moshe Rabbeinu, even the greatest of the great, Yaakov, you know, also had moments when they were challenged in their trust in Hashem. So, so don't think this is something that isn't relevant to you. Everyone needs to work on their bitachon. Bitachon is something that, that is, is something that, uh, of course, Moshe and Yaakov, you know, are way beyond our wildest imagination of who they are. And yet, the Torah says that we should learn from them something. We should learn that it's possible that you could be in a moment and you're not in a state of bitachon. Don't think that, oh, I'm, I'm wearing tzitzis, I'm wearing a yamloka, and I'm davening three times a day, I must have bitachon. No, bitachon is something that, that is, is very, um, it's, 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 a, it's a real challenge to have bitachon, and uh, you have to work on it, you have to work on it. And that's what we're doing right now. So, um, it's a famous story with um, Rabbi Avram Tversky's father, Olshom. His father was a rabbi in Minnesota, and he said he learned everything he knows from his father in psychology. And uh, he learned that his father didn't study all this uh, in, in university, but his father was an incredible psychologist, he said. So there was a, um, a member of the community over there in Minnesota who um, was a soldier, and he uh, disappeared. 
And everyone in the community was very worried about him. They were diving for him. And he said the first Saturday night after his disappearance, his father took him to visit the family and made a doll over there. And he, his father sat down with them and said to them, I want you to know that we have absolute trust in Hashem. Your son is okay. He's going to come back home. And for sure he's going to be all right. And, and let's, let's, um, uh, be, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate your son's return now. Let's already be happy. Your son is for sure going to come back. This is for sure going to happen. Let's trust in God. Your son's going to be okay. All right. And uh, that wasn't the only time he visited them. He visited them again and again every Saturday night, and he told them the same thing. And sure enough, Baruch Hashem, I don't know how, many, how long it was. It was, it was definitely months later. Uh, that their son, Baruch Hashem, they get news. Their son is, is, is okay. And the son comes home, and he tells his parents this funny thing. He has several dozen letters from Rabbi Tversky, and they all say the same thing. They say, uh, we're rooting for you, we know for sure you're okay, we're diving for you, we're expecting you. And, uh, and what, happens, what happens is when a soldier is, is missing in action, so he was, this soldier was captured by the enemy, but then he was released, Whenever they're missing an action, before sending them home, in order to make sure that all the um, information that they, they released is, is, is to the enemy, is, is because they're in prison, is known to the, the Americans. So the, 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 the government wants to, the, the army wants to debrief the soldier before sending him home. So he's debriefed, and he gets these, these dozens of letters uh, that, that were sent to this base where he was supposed to be um, debriefed. And he, uh, and he says, I don't know what this is about. So Rabbi Tversky said, he asked his father, why did you send him all these letters? So his father said like this, I saw when we visited his parents the week after he was, after he was missing in action, I said that when he was missing in action, we went to visit his parents. We told his parents that, here uh, we we told his parents that God's going to help, he's sure going to come back home. I saw what a, what a dramatic effect it had on his parents. So, um, but I also know that emotions are finite. So just because his parents feel good right now, it doesn't mean they're going to feel good tomorrow. And therefore, I went back to them again every Saturday night and tell them that we trust that Hashem is going to for sure help, the son's going to come back home. But why'd you write all those letters, Dad? You wrote a letter every single day. What is every single, um, every single week? He said, my son, my emotions are finite too. I also need to strengthen my trust in Hashem. And therefore, I decided to every single day to actually write a letter myself and to put it in the mailbox and to say, Hashem um, is for sure going to help. And by sending that message to him, I should have to my own self by writing it down on a paper and putting it in the mailbox and sending it off to him. That gave me, that strengthened my trust in Hashem. So let's uh, go to page three. What exactly is the meaning of the opinion that says that it's appropriate not to be afraid. Why is it correct, according to these commentaries, that a Jew should never be afraid of misfortune? Why can't I feel, why is it wrong to feel that maybe my mistakes are going to cause and are going to have consequences? I know I've made mistakes in my life, and therefore I'm expecting something not good to happen to me. Isn't this a great virtue? The whole thing, expression of humility, you're always afraid 
that maybe something bad's going to happen to you because you know you've made mistakes? Isn't this a good thing? How come these commentaries say that um, that it's a that we uh, Yaakov and Moshe Rabbeinu made a mistake on their level not to trust in Hashem and the Jews should, and we're supposed to learn from this not to not uh, um, to expect misfortune. We're not ever supposed to expect misfortune. Why not? Why can't I say I made mistakes and therefore expect not that some, there to be a consequence for my actions? Isn't that humility? However, this question affects the whole attribute of trusting in God that God commands us to have. Look at note 27. There is, it says explicitly in several verses that you have to trust in God. Uh, the Rambam, the Shari Tshuva, point out that when God tells the Jewish soldiers to go out to war, He says, do not be afraid of them. That commandment to the soldiers is a commandment to every Jew, never to be afraid. If a person sees that there is an approaching danger, the salvation of God should be in his heart, and he should trust in it. Here, he should he should have the salvation of Hashem in his heart. He should have the, the, the definite, positive outcome. The salvation should be there. Where is it supposed to be? It's supposed to be in his heart. He already has that. And he should trust that that's what's going to happen. That's what Jews meant to behave. That's what Hashem commands us to behave. When there's a tsar or a kreva, there's something, there's immediate danger. And yet what the Jew commanded to have, he's going out to war against other soldiers. Hashem says, do not be afraid. That's what Hashem commands us. So, Pirish B'Tach, let's go back inside the, um, in the Sikha, in the second line over there, in the first, full par- the second paragraph. Pirish B'Tachim, Trusting in God does not mean you believe that God could help you, God could save you, etc. Trusting in God means you believe He will save you. That it's certain to you. To the extent He is an absolute state of tranquility, he does not worry at all. In Duties of the Heart, Gate of Trust, he says, what does it mean to trust in God? That you are absolute tranquility. Why are you in a state of tranquility? Because you rely, your heart relies on the one that you trust, that he will do what is good for you about the thing you're trusting him to. So, so it doesn't mean, as we'll see soon, that Hashem will do something that He knows to be good, but rather Hashem will do something that's an open and obvious good. We're trusting in Hashem, not that He'll do something that God knows is good, rather it's davar vada, it's certain He's going to help me in a way that I could see that it's good. That's what trusting in Hashem means. Not that He could help me, but that He will help me. And not it will help me in a way that he knows how he's going that how that's considered help, but in a way that I could see see with my eyes that it's help. It's all we need to understand though. On what basis is this certainty? The key and Shafil and even when God promises explicitly that he's going to take care of someone, it's possible that a sin could cause this promise not to come true. How much more so when there's no promise? God didn't explicitly tell me he's going to be with me, did he? 
So why am I supposed to have absolute certainty that God's going to take care of me? Yaakov Abinu was worried. Moshe Abinu was worried. And yet the Torah says they shouldn't have worried. On what basis? This possibility that my sin is going to cause me to have some kind of calamity, God forbid, that possibility exists for every single person. Every person in the world has made mistakes. Next column. There's no tzaddik in the world that only does good and never makes a mistake. If Yaakov Avinu was afraid that he made a mistake, how much more so should each of us be afraid that maybe we make, we make mistakes and therefore I should expect something negative to happen, <coughs> happen to me. So, on what basis is this absolute certainty that Shem is not just he can help me, but he will help me? Where does it come from? If I'm a tzaddik, I make mistakes. I'm not a tzaddik. I make, I make a lot of mistakes. So why can't I think, why is it wrong to think that my sins are going to cause something bad to happen? Why is the right perspective that Hashem is for sure going to help? Okay, we're going to... Uh, I'll just start this idea. We have a possible explanation. We're not going to be satisfied with this explanation. And we're going to say uh, like this. Trust is related to faith. What does that mean? When a person is in a state of difficulty, in a state of pain, it's not because there's some person or some thing, some entity that has some power over him in any kind of way. Rather, it's from God. And automatically, he is in absolute tranquility. Because any way you look at it, it's okay. If I don't deserve something bad to happen to me, so certainly God will help me. And it doesn't matter what nature says, because God could save me. God is beyond nature. If I, if, I'm, if I don't deserve something bad to happen to me, I'm for sure going to be okay. But if I don't deserve this kindness, and I deserve this punishment, I'm still going to be calm. Why? It's still not the the person that's doing this to me, or the lawyer that's doing this to me, or the plaintiff. Is, it's only God that's doing this to me. That I have not um, satisfied my duties before my Creator, and therefore I'm experiencing this this calamity. So I'm only feeling a, 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 a fear from Hashem alone. And whatever God does to me is for sure for my benefit. Even the punishments the Torah speaks of are God's kindness to cleanse a person from the blemish of sin. So therefore, there's no room <coughs> to be afraid or to be to be, to have worry because whatever happens is going to be okay. If I'm going to go into a blender, it's okay anyways, right? Because it's, that's what it's meant to be. It's good for my soul. If I'm not supposed to go in a blender, so then I won't go in the blender. That's, that's how you could possibly explain a trusting in Hashem. You trust that whatever Hashem does, and Hashem is for sure going to be good. It's only Hashem doing it to me, no one else. And I feel secure because Hashem is doing this. That's one possible explanation, but we'll see how this is not the um, real meaning of trusting in Hashem. Real meaning of trusting in Hashem, as we said before, is trust Hashem will for sure help me. A Jew leans on God, doesn't make any calculations, and the very fact that you lean on Hashem, that itself... Uh, brings the salvation of Hashem as we'll see in Hashem tomorrow. Any questions? All right.